Welcome to In Transition, a program dedicated to the practice of content marketing in the public sector. Here's your host, David Pembroke. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome once again to In Transition, the podcast that examines the practice of content marketing in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke, and I'm delighted that you've taken a bit of time this week to join us once again. A special edition this week as we go on the road or across the lake here in Canberra to meet with the Director General of the National Archives of Australia, David Fricker, and we will be recording or are recording this interview in his office. But first, as we do each week, we start with the definition so we know exactly what it is that we're talking about when we think about the practice of content marketing. Content marketing is a strategic, measurable and accountable business process that relies on the creation, curation and distribution of useful, relevant and consistent content. The purpose is to engage and inform a specific audience in order to achieve a desired citizen and or stakeholder action. So to our guest today, David Fricker is the Director General of the National Archives of Australia. David began his career at the Australian Customs Service, but after eight years, he moved to the private sector where he first worked for the Computer Sciences Corporation and then founded his own firm, Business Synetics. David worked on major federal and ACT government projects in defence, science, immigration, finance and health, on information systems, management, strategic planning and project management. David joined the Australian Security Intelligence Organisation in 2002 as Chief Information Officer and later was the Deputy Director General where he managed staffing, intelligence and information policy as well as legislative reform. In 2012, David Fricker became the Director General of the Archives to lead the Digital Archiving Transformation Project. In 2014, David became the first Australian to be elected as the President of the International Council on Archives. David Fricker, welcome to In Transition. Thank you very much, David. It's great to be here. You've been very busy. I have indeed. (laughs) I have indeed. Well, there's a lot going on. (laughs) what What do you like about your job? as the head of the, of the archive? Well, because as you just described in your intro, why content is so important at the moment, the world really does turn on information. Uh, most uh, people in the world, you know, their access to justice, their access to their own uh, agency, their own autonomy in life, the ability to which they can achieve their life goals, largely depends on the access to information that they have. So the truth about themselves, about their community, about their government and about what's going on in the world, the more information they have, the more empowered they are to make a difference. And so at the archives, you know, we are in the information business. We are in the content uh, business. And, um, And for me to be now presiding over the what I regard as the most important accumulation of information for the Federation of Australia... It's a tremendous uh, pleasure and privilege for me to be in this position, but it's also very, very exciting to being it right now during this digital disruption which we're um, experiencing across the world. What keeps you up at night? Well, look, it is, it's, it's a lot about the digital world. So as I say, the, the first responsibility I have is to make sure that Australians can access authentic, uh, comprehensive records about what the government of Australia has done. And in the digital world, uh, this becomes a very complex set of problems uh, strategically and operationally to deal with. 
You know, as, as we all know, you know, back in our in the 20th century, if you like, um, most records were kept on paper. Now, paper records are very, very patient. You can put a piece of paper in a box and you can put it in a dark room somewhere and you can go back 100 years from now and it'll be sitting there right where you left it, neatly arranged in that little uh, box that you left it in. You can get that piece of paper out and you can read it. You don't need anything except a pair of eyeballs and a light and you can read that piece of paper. Fast forward to the 21st century and we are swimming in an ocean of digital information. The business of Australian society is conducted digitally and the business of government is digital and therefore the business of the Australian public service, the government's bureaucracy, is digital. And, uh, you know, we, we talk about the three Vs of digital information. There's the variety now. So it's not just sheets of paper anymore. These are very complex digital objects. They may be a PDF document, but it may be an audio visual. It may be an interactive bit of software. It may be a complex database. So there's a tremendous variety. Um, but there's the velocity of the information is created at a lightning pace. Um, and it, it is, you know, a major concern about how we maintain these uh, endless requirements to store this information, you know, the, um, uh, at the velocity that it's being created. Uh, and of course, you know, it is, it's the volume. So it's not only the variety and the velocity, but it is that volume of, of space that we, uh, we need to worry about. But in the digital world, and this, this really comes to the crux of what keeps me awake, is that I can, I can point to technologies that exist to, to handle storage, ever-increasing volumes of storage, of ever-increasing variety of, of um, data and the volume at which they come. But the real worry is vulnerability. It's that fourth V. Uh, because paper is very stable, paper is reliable, paper is patient, but digital information is vulnerable, very vulnerable from the moment it's created. Uh, and, you know, it's funny, most, most people you, you talk to think, well, nothing is ever lost in the digital world. If, if, I, if I send an email, if I go online, if I do a hotel booking, that exists somewhere out there in cyberspace because, you know, we know that, that um, we're all concerned about privacy and the invasion of privacy and the huge accumulations of data. And while that is true in many ways, it, it is very difficult to completely remove the digital fingerprints and the footprints we leave around the world but the reliability of what's left is very, very random and it's very fragile. And so the important stuff, the authentic stuff may be lost and what's left is a fictional representation, is a misrepresentation of actually happened. And when you've got misinformation hanging around out there about you, about your life, about your personal relationships, that can be extremely damaging to your life. It can be a very unreasonable uh, uh, invasion of your privacy and it can, uh, it can really hinder you in achieving the various objectives you have in your personal life, in your business life. So, so what keeps me awake at night <laughs> is preserving authentic, authentic I'm records. Sitting, I'm now <laughs> not going to be able to sleep right. tonight <laughs> thinking about yes, this. That's right. Oh, yes. So uh, no, no, no. But how do you overcome some of this vulnerability? How, how do you manage you know, a system that enables that authenticity to be retained over time so that you are getting that record that you spoke about so eloquently at the beginning of the interview. Yes, well, it's a, look, it's a combination of uh, legislation, it's a combination of procedures and it's a combination of technology, but importantly it's cultural change yeah. as well across government. You know, because I, I don't want to be a wet blanket on technology and on, on progress. Um, you know, we, we want new technology. New technology is good. It means it's a sign of innovation, it's a sign of progress, etc. So we must constantly embrace new technology, especially across government. 
because we need to keep pace with modern society and we need to be a more cost-effective, productive uh, government bureaucracy. Um, so it's, it's not about putting the brakes on technological advancement or progress, but it is about having sensible legislation in place and it's about having sensible policies in place, in particular across the Commonwealth and the public service, which is, is my domain uh, in terms of the records that we have to preserve. So we have a, a major policy, um, uh, two major policy pieces that we have launched from the National Archives and we are managing across the Commonwealth Public Service at the moment. The two policy pieces are the digital transition policy, uh, which basically said, if I can condense it down to a single statement, that from the beginning of this year, 1st of January 2016, if information is born digital within your government agency, department, whatever, if it's born digital, you have to keep it digital, you have to manage it digitally, and if it needs to be archived because it's that 10% which must, must be preserved forever, it must be archived digitally. So it's that transition. Your operation is transitioning to digital operation. So that deadline was actually for this year to, to achieve that transition. And then beyond that, right across government, our next policy is the digital continuity 2020 policy. So by the year 2020, we will have in place a set of policies and arrangements, governance arrangements, which will ensure the continuity of government into the digital era. And that basically is around making sure that all information is valued like an asset. So you, we, we account for money. We account for all the people we employ. We have to account for the information that we have in our custody. Um, that all information is digitally managed. So decisions are made digitally. We keep digital records of what we are doing. And the third value is that everything is interoperable. It's no good us having little silos of data created in government agencies you know, exquisitely managed with digital systems and all the rest of it, if that's incompatible with the data in the next agency or in the next department, uh, then we, we lose that interoperability across government. We fall back to old siloed behaviour and we have breakdowns in communication. How well understood do you believe this responsibility that you're outlining in terms of the people who are creating the content and creating the records, how well do you believe that they understand this responsibility to ensure integrity in the, the information they create and, um, and store and archive? And I'd ask not just here in Australia but in your role as president of the um, International Council on, on Archives, how well globally we're doing in this realm. Um, globally, it, it is well understood. So we are, as an international community, quite gripped by the, the immediacy of this issue yeah. uh, and the importance of this issue. Uh, we work closely with UNESCO, for example, and the Memory of the World program in UNESCO is also very concerned with the preservation of documentary heritage, the world's memory of what humanity has achieved and what it continues to do and to make sure that around the world um, the... The, to support the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, for example, requires access to information. So yeah. it is very, very well understood at senior levels and at the strategic level. And because all of us are living, breathing and operating in the digital world, every, every hour of every day, every minute of every day, we're touched by some form of digital technology. So it's the, the responsibility and the urgency is not lost on anyone. Where, where it starts to become complex is, is the response, you know, how yeah. you how you um, operationalise, if I can use that awful word, um, you know, your, your knowledge of those strategic imperatives. And, and that's because, you know, the, the environment, the complexity of, of the, the 
um, our work that we do and the, the structures we work within uh, is driving people very hard. You know, around the world, budgets are being um, reduced. Uh, the the number of um, uh, deadlines and pressures placed upon organisations seems to be increasing, and the public expectation. Uh, is always increasing as well. The public expects governments to move faster. They expect more information to be made immediately available. Um, and they expect governments around the world to be at the very forefront of technology as well. So the meat in that particular sandwich are between public expectations and strategic guidance from leadership are the people who actually have to do the work and really they're the audience that we're speaking to now. What advice or guidance can you provide to them so as that they are better able to manage their day-to-day work practices so as that they are, you know, contributing to this retention of authentic information? Well, it, it, it starts with information governance. So everybody is, is quite familiar with corporate governance, right? Every organisation has some corporate governance framework in place. These control frameworks, we understand where the money goes, how we manage our money, we have policies in place for employment of people, we manage our property portfolios. So these are basic legal um, compliance, etc. So these are the basic fundamental pillars of corporate governance. My first bit of advice is one of those pillars of corporate governance is your information governance. Do you in your organisation understand what information you're gathering, you're collecting? Do you understand what information you're creating? Do you know who has overarching responsibility for that management? What are the security protections around that information? What are your policies for the preservation of that information to keep it intact? What are your policies to make that information available to the public, within government, third parties, etc.? Um, so it, it's quite a simple um, bureaucratic response in many ways. It's an administrative. It costs nothing. It doesn't require you to go out and have a major capital project and purchase more ICT. It just means you as a manager think about the governance of your information assets. And I imagine there's quite a few best practice guides that would be about that would help to inform people. Absolutely. And indeed, our, our because this is a function that we see ourselves as, as taking for the Australian uh, Commonwealth sector, the public service and Commonwealth agencies, on our website, for example, we have a, a wealth of information about information governance. Um, basic practical things. Do you have an information management committee in your corporate committee structure? Um, if you do, we've published on our website, here's a, a template for the agenda, for the terms of reference that that committee should have. Quite practical, in the weeds, uh, low-level practical guidelines and, and resources and tools to get started on your information governance. Once you've got that, then you can start to make wise investment decisions out of your limited budget um, what information technology do you need? Perhaps you already own the information, you probably own the information technology you need, but you need to turn on a few features or you need to apply a few policies to get a better handle on that information. So we are very, very conscious of the fact that we are in an information abundance environment, uh, but cash is in short supply. And so we are not about sort of saying you have a huge problem, go out and seek additional funding and, may, and launch into a major capital project. We're about changing behaviours, management practices and policies to get a good handle on your information governance. And I imagine those guides are up to date. So they are looking at things like video, like audio, like social media distribution. There's all of those practices there that people can understand how they should be looking at the information that they're creating and distributing. Yes, absolutely. Now, of course, this is a, a rapidly evolving uh, landscape. 
the work will never be done. The work will never be perfect and finished. Uh, but we at the National Archives take it very seriously and we're pushing as much as we can out there uh, to make sure that people have the guidelines that they need to get a handle on this. I mean, look, at the end of the day as well, uh, it's a management responsibility. So we don't step into every organisation and tell them how to manage uh, at the lowest level. But what we're doing is setting the frameworks, the policies and the objectives to make sure that information governance is recognised and public servants, in particular in Australia, public servants are doing the right things by the public that they serve, that our long-term responsibilities are being properly looked after and discharged. Now, I, I was seeking your guidance on behalf of the audience and you gave that first piece of advice, which is around information governance. Um, mm. what, what other pieces of advice do you have? Um, look, there are um, professional associations, there are international networks, as we mentioned, the International Council on Archives, for example, within Australia, the uh, Australian Society of Archivists as well, who are also hard at work. Um, RIMPA is another one, Records and Information Management Professionals Australia. There are, there are professional networks that exist to develop um, uh, and to maintain, you know, the vanguard of contemporary thinking around these these issues. And it is quite important for us all to stay plugged into the developments of those associations. Um, it, it does um, uh, require a lot of uh, sharing of knowledge and a lot of uh, sharing of problems that we all experience as well to make sure that we are working together to keep ourselves on top of this issue. Because information, you know, the, managing the national collection, managing the national memory... Uh, requires all of us to do our bit and it's it's not a competitive environment. If just one of us does it really well at the cost of all the others, uh, the loser at the end of the day will be the Australian public because the Australian public needs a joined up view of the national memory and around the world. You know, the value of archives is in the aggregation of records that are held that, that come together to form a complete picture for people. So it has to be done in a non-competitive collegiate way. And is it at the moment? I imagine it would be. It is. It, it really is. It, um, it is one of these areas where, as I say, everyone around the world is gripped by this issue. Everybody uh, has, a, has a personal stake. You know, there it's, you know, you watch uh, popular TV at the moment and you see programs like Who Do You Think You Are and, um, you know, Fake All Fortune is another one I think about, um, uh, you know, people reaching back using archives, using records, to establish either the provenance of something which is important to them, you know, be it a piece of property or a piece of art or whatever, or, uh, or otherwise, um, perhaps more importantly, to reach back through these records to discover their own identity, you know, who they are, where they came from, um, what their ancestry is and what that means to them and their future and their children. Uh, and so it is, it's, it's one of these things, documentary heritage, societal memory, um, along with, with principles of accountability of government and transparency of government, these are, these are international uh, truths, if you like. These mm. are values which really do bind humanity together, even, even um, certainly across democracies around the world. But I find it interesting in my work at the ICA, the International Council, that even the non-democratic uh, countries who are members of the ICA are still concerned about corruption. They're still concerned about accountability of government. So it's not, it's not solely a democratic value. And this is something that surprised me a bit. Nations around the world, populations around the world need to know what's going on. That's the social contract that they have with whoever their government is relies on the availability of records and societal memory. But I just wonder though, in the day-to-day in the -day pressure that you described before, shrinking budgets, lots more to do, 
you know, so many tasks on, on any given day. I just wonder whether or not that aspiration and that importance gets lost in the. I'm just trying to get through the day. I'm yeah. just trying to get through the next pile of tasks. No, that's right. Yeah, that I've got uh, in front of me. You know, know this is all. This is all great, but you know, I've got deadlines to meet and I've got things to do. Yeah, no, it, it is. It's like that adage, you know. You, um, you, you, as you're brushing your teeth in the morning, you have these ideas about everything you do today, and you get to work and you log on and your email <laughs> appears. Yeah, and then all your plans just, you know, turn to uh, turn to smoke because now you have this this tide of emails coming at you, um, and so it is. It is. Uh, it is hard, you know. It is hard to. It's it's always hard to manage what's strategic, when you're when you're up to your neck in what's urgent. I mean that that's also true across uh, public sector. It's across corporate Australia's around the world. I think, and and the only way, and this is where it comes back to this information governance principle. This this is why we do try and keep our message simple and and consistent. That what you've got to do is build into the fabric of what you do, the way you solve any problem, whether it's an urgent problem, a strategic problem short-term, near-term, long-term, we've got to build into your problem-solving uh, repertoire um, information governance. So, so how are we solving this problem? You know, what, how are we throwing money at it? How are we um, doing our public relations, our communications and all the rest of it? But what are we doing about the information management? And if, we, if that becomes part of the fabric of how we manage all of the assets of our organisation and manage all of the outcomes that we're trying to achieve in the organisation... That's where information governance just becomes part of every response that we take, where it's short-term, long-term, strategic, et cetera. And I imagine the better you get at that and the more embedded that is, the easier it is to then make decisions about, well, what's in, what's out, what's relevant, what's not relevant. Well, it is. And, and this is why that, that principle I mentioned earlier about our digital continuity policy is manage information like an asset because it is an asset. It creates value for you. So, so over time, the more you're managing your information holdings as an asset, the more you see them delivering value for your organisation and it becomes an enabler for a rapid response. It becomes an enabler for building uh, more capital within the organisation. It becomes an enabler for getting um, the, the objectives and the strategics that you want up and running. It's an enabler to get those things up and running and to be successful. Um, so it is important to think of information as an asset. You know, on, on the balance sheets of most organisations, it's very common to see uh, assets of buildings and, and, but, but also the intangible assets are usually the software that the organisation owns. But the software, you know, we know that software becomes obsolete. We know that five years you, you have to get rid of that and you amortise it and you, you replace it. But information is actually... The real value, you know, in the corporate world, you know, the mailing lists and the um, uh, or the intellectual property that a, a business accumulates is an asset, and that's they, they, you know they're valued on the books. It's interesting in the government sector we don't normally put a dollar value on the data that we've collected and the data we're holding, uh, and and yet it is now the National Archives, for example, we do put a dollar value on the information we have because we are required to under our. Uh, accountability framework. Now, the, the government records that we hold in the archives are independently valued at $1.46 billion. Now, that if you just look at the dollar value of that as, a, as an economic asset, it's, it's enormous. And it, it makes you, it drives you to think, well, what am I doing to, to derive benefit? Where am I getting the dividend from that asset? You, you don't have a lazy asset worth $1.46 billion. You have to put it to work. 
Um, and then you start to think about, well, okay, it's, it's intellectual capital. You know, it's the intellectual property of this nation. It's, it represents the nation's identity. It, uh, and it drives you to think, okay, we have to be thinking about what we do and the way we work to, to deliver a dividend because Australia owns this asset, we should be getting a dividend from that asset. Now, this is a compelling argument, but how well do you think you're doing in getting this message across to people that they have to, you know, take more seriously this notion of records keeping and and management? Um, look, we are doing we are doing well. I, I have to say, I'm quite pleased with the the fact that we are um, achieving uh, penetration of this sort of message. But, of course, we have to do better and we have to do better and we have to do better because, as we said at the beginning of our chat, public expectations keep going up. This is the information age we live in after all. Uh, and so we have to be constantly working harder and redoubling our efforts to make sure that we are working towards government expectations and those public expectations. Mm. And in terms of the job, and, and you alluded to it a bit earlier on, it's the old, you know, painting the Sydney Harbour Bridge, mm. you know, you're never finished. You mm. get, where would you see or what sort of ranking or rating would you give in terms of the maturity of how we're doing at the moment and and perhaps what are the most immediate things that, that people, that the audience could do to, you know, ensure that they are making a better contribution than they might be at the moment in the in the in the creation and the curation and distribution of the content that they create? Um, look, I think um, in, in a maturity model, I would say um, we're doing Quite well, you know. Score Good. out of five. Okay. And let's, yeah, let's yeah. Say, I like that. Give us yeah. some. Yeah. <laughs> let's say out of five, I'd say we're probably at three and a half. Okay. Now internationally, that's pretty good. Okay. But that's not five. It's only three and a half. <laughs> and I keep saying to people that, but look, okay, we're we're kind of we're swimming. You know, we're treading water here, but we are in the red zone yeah. here because um, the the pace at which things are moving in the world uh, with with behaviours out there and with the pace of government itself. Um, We've got, a, we've got a lot more to do and we have to do it fairly quickly because we are operating in the red zone. We are now, I think, we are now in the situation where we are losing records that should be kept, yeah. records which are the evidence of government activity. Now, I'm not saying that there's a big smoking gun of a major scandal or a crime or whatever which has now been lost, but I'm saying that I can, I can see already through our, our practices and the, the, the nature of the business that we're in that we are in that red zone. But, but where are those opportunities escaping from? Where, where is the most, where, where is the weakest, the most vulnerable part of the system at the moment? Um, it's in that, uh, that issue of uh, interoperability of information, okay. that we're accumulating large volumes of data in databases and data collections, but we are still not onto the data preservation aspects of those things. So 15 years from now, uh, we'll return to those databases and those data holdings and we'll find that we can't really recover the true meaning because technology has moved on and we have not been engaged enough in these digital preservation cycles and techniques uh -huh. to make sure that that data remains accessible, useful and interoperable into the future. So that's more a technology issue than a practice issue? It's, um, yeah, it is, it, that's right. It is more of, a, of an information obsolescence, if you like. The information becomes the, – the value of that information is still there but the obsolescence around it is, is – impeded our ability to exploit true value from that. Um, now, but we are in the red zone with the practices and the, and the, the process issues as well because yep. um, as technology is advancing, uh, we become more productive in our daily work. We use technology for greater convenience to do the work that we need to do much more quickly. Uh, we can, through that process, lose the value of the information we create. We become fascinated with the process 
and we lose sight of the value of the information. So we are operating in the red zone there. So I don't want anyone listening to this podcast to get too comfortable with where we're at because while I don't think we're neglecting the issue at all and I'm very happy to be able to report that, uh, we still have got a way to go. We are, as I say, still operating in the red zone and we need to very quickly address these major issues of information governance, long-term information preservation and the maintenance of accessibility and interoperability of information um, so that when if you and I are chatting again in the year 2020, I can say that we are out of the red zone and we are behaving across the Commonwealth in an orderly and responsible fashion to preserve what, after all, is the memory of this nation of Australia. And to achieve that, to achieve the five, what do people have to do? What contribution can the people who are on the ground creating the content do on a daily basis to help Peter Fricker get his five out of five? Okay. Um, you can call me David if you like. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Sorry. You can see what I mean about information obsolescence. <laughs> Already my name has become obsolete. <laughs> That's your brother's. I do know um, your brother, Peter? Yes, yes, yes. yes. Famous well, sports doctor in Australia. No, no, that's right. I'm sure Lovely he's listening guy. to this podcast and he'll be, he'll be laughing <laughs> hi, himself Peter, stupid. How you yeah, hi, Peter. Um, <laughs> but no, so but, uh, getting back to what people can do yeah. is, is, you know, when if you're, a, if you're a professional public servant, for example, you're a knowledge worker, you know, you're, you're, your legacy is really in the information, the knowledge you create by the work you do. And so I think what people can be doing is valuing themselves and valuing their own contribution uh, in the work that they do in terms of the information that they're creating because that's what they're doing and the knowledge they've created, the information they've created will provide those downstream benefits to people. And so that, that's the first thing that everyone can be doing is in their daily work, think about how uh, your legacy to the future is not the fact you're sitting at this desk today using that version of you know, word processing, your legacy, the way the future will value the work you've done today is in the information you've created and the extent to which that's usable and useful in the future. If we can adopt that mentality, then that will be a major step forward. Excellent. Well, David Fricker, thank you very much for, for joining us today in Transition. It is such a critically important issue and I think the way that you've uh, scoped it today is to really to give people that understanding of that day-to-day work that they are. Yes, they're in the content creation business and the distribution business but they're in the preservation business as well. So as, it, as you say that not only here in Australia but globally the work that people are doing is really making that contribution to strengthening the societies in which they work. So as you say, as we want to know more about ourselves and future generations to know more about decisions that were made and why and where we came from and everything else, it is just so vitally important that we get the content right, that we manage it correctly and that we can really draw down on that resource that we can create into the future. So thank you very much. Good luck with getting to your five. Um, I'm sure you'll be able to do it. And thanks very much for joining us again today. Thank you. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks very much. You've been listening to In Transition, the program dedicated to the practice of content marketing in the public sector. For more, visit us at contentgroup.com.au.